0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: Hi, everyone. I am Martina Cunha, and you're listening to Backstage Talk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Backstage Talk. Today's guest is is a two-time Tony Award-winning author of many plays and musicals, including the book and lyrics of Town*, I Am Nobody, The Truth About Santa, The Sting, Lunchtime, Give the People What They Want, and JB and Catherine. I have here with me Greg Codis. His work has been produced and developed in theaters across the United States and across the world, including Actors Theatre in Louisville, American Conservative Theatre, American Theatre Company, Henry Miller's Theatre on Broadway, The Manhattan Theatre Club, New York Stage and Film, and recently Icaro in Mexico. So Greg, thank you so much for being in Backstage Talk. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you.
1: I am honored. Um, So you are a landmark. You are um, like what a lot of people want to become, and that is a Tony Award author. So tell me a little bit of what made you choose the thespian path in life.
0: Oh, well, I started as an actor like Almost many, many people in theater who become producers and writers and composers and Mm -hmm. stage managers and, you know, all the other elements of theater, many of them just through conversations with them, they begin as an actor and then they find their path, just where where they feel their strengths are and where their interests are. So I began as an actor. I started acting in high school just to meet people and to have fun. And then the interest grew into something that I just wanted to do all the time. And I started working with companies in Chicago where I began my um, pursuit of theater uh, as a career, Um, working with companies that specialized in creating either ensemble-based pieces, which was my introduction to writing, or sort of short pieces that would be solo authored. So anyway, I, I, I got a taste writing with these smaller companies in Chicago and then I you know the the path for a lot of people in the United States is you could either stay in a smaller market Mm -hmm. uh, and Chicago is a pretty big market I mean that's I don't know if that's the right word for it or you move to New York or Los Angeles if you want to um, have a better chance of just Earning your living through theater, so then I moved to New York, and I also decided that I needed to teach myself how to write full-length plays. I wasn't even thinking about musicals then. If that—that was—that was, that was a, a, a an agreement I made with myself is that I would learn how to write. So I didn't study playwriting. I didn't even study theater. I studied political science in college, um, and. My thought was just, I'm going to write the plays that I want to write and hope for the best. And Yearn Town turned out to be that project, which had a commercial life and allowed me to continue to to continue write. So um, I feel very fortunate that lightning struck and I had that chance. And I think... People in theater probably know this, and in all creative endeavors, that your chances of earning your living just through your lighting, writing or acting—it's um, that's a really tough road. So um, I just feel very fortunate that I was lucky enough to have these years. So bet- after Uptown, um, to, uh, to to have the income to write full time, which is what I've been doing.
1: That is great and I love it. And yes, living of the arts is a very hard endeavor. It's an adventure, but it is a hard endeavor. Um so tell me a little bit about your journey in musical theater.
0: Well, um I wasn't really I mean it was it was really accidental. Um I worked with a company in Chicago called called Cardiff Giant and one of the ensemble members in that company that I joined um, was Mark Holman, who's the composer and co-lyricist for Urinetown. So he moved. So he was, uh, he, he was pursuing, he he started as an actor like all of us. And then he realized that he wanted to be a composer. He moved to New York to become a composer, a composer. And I moved to New York two years afterwards and I had this idea of for your intent and I pitched it to him and neither of us were, you know, we were, we had day jobs and we had nothing pressing. So we had time to do it. So um, since then, so we we wrote it and that took several years for it to go from the French festival to off Broadway to Broadway. And then we found, Oh wow, we have a career all of a sudden. So since then, over the past 20 years um, we have been writing musicals together uh and usually what will happen is i'll have an idea and i'll pitch it to mark and if he likes it if he responds and i'll do work on it i will write it out more or less as a play um and then we will spend a couple of years musicalizing and developing and polishing it and then doing readings and then doing backwards auditions and trying to find life for the show so that's sort of that's our cycle is that you know we're in the midst of working on something and then we you know, for an actor, you audition, you can audition several times a year yeah. for writers, for the writers that like us, we have to spend a lot of time creating um, a piece and then we go about auditioning it for producers and for theaters. So our gestation period is much slower. Um, but that's essentially what it is. We, we write shows and when we try to get people to do them and we push that as hard as we can and then we move on to the next thing.
1: I love it. And I want to double click on your writing process. Uh, since you just mentioned you and Mark, that is your right hand writing shows, um, have already stated and have a process going with um, writing new shows. But I w- I'm guessing on your side, how do you start that approach to writing book and lyrics?
0: well you know um, the initial impulse for a play something or a musical um, it's mysterious you know it's the imagination and oftentimes it's you know crossing the street or you're on a, on a walk or you're in the shower you're doing the dishes and some notion comes pops into your head um with urine town it was an image of a little girl begging uh, and I thought oh what is this what is this image that I have? Um, sometimes it's a line of dialogue sometimes it's just some notion or or something that you read or some issue that you're it it could come from anywhere Um, and then the process for me is kind of to tease it out and maybe essentially to write some I think there's someone who said it might be Dorothy Parker or some famous writer said she doesn't know what she thinks about something until she writes it down And that's sort of true for uh, the playwriting or musical writing process, which is you have a notion, but you don't really know if the notion has any strength or is it rich enough to sustain two or two and a half hours of stage time. So I will just put the characters who I think might be part of the story in the same room and have them talk to each other. And that becomes a scene. And then if it's engaging, that will lead to, other scenes and other characters and so on and the world of the story expands. So that's like the initial kind of um, process of starting a new show. And then once it's structured enough, so I try to get it as close to a well-structured play as I can. Then I bring that play to Mark and we read through it. Sometimes we'll read the scenes, reading all the characters and we try to spot where the songs are and um, this is called song spotting um, or uh, trying to find lyric hooks for songs. So sometimes um, the lyric hook or the title its usually the same thing of a song will be a line of dialogue, something that's one of the characters says, or the idea underneath the scene. And then that's, you know, a year or two years of work where we look at each scene and then, usually Mark will go away and he'll come back with part of a song and say, is this what it is? And then we'll decide if that's, if that's it or not. And the song that he writes, um, then I will contribute to it as a lyricist because, um, I, I, I can contribute what's happening in the story and what's happening in the mind of the, of the characters. And so, um, then I, I begin collaborating with Mark on the lyrics and that song, probably will affect the path in some ways of the, of the play. So then the play has to be rewritten to receive the song. And then, you know, it becomes a very organic process of developing what was um, a little loose into something tighter and tighter and tighter and, and more organically um, and narratively satisfying, hopefully. Um, And that's, guess that's how we do it. We're in the midst of, of doing that right now. Um, and another element for us, I mean, for the writers out there is deadlines are really good. So we usually, when we feel we have something kind of, maybe we could maybe kind of finish, um, we try to create or search for or ask for an opportunity of some kind of deadline, usually a reading, mm-hmm. um, where there's someone waiting for what we have and and the person waiting could be a director, it could be a cast. It could be, you know, it's, it's sort of um, it's a way of keeping ourselves honest because without a deadline, without the risk of uh, public humiliation, like if, if, if the play sucks, if the musical sucks, Everyone's going to know, you're going to know. So it, a lot of the motivation comes down to making sure the thing isn't so bad that you're not completely embarrassed. And that, that is a good motivator for us. It's unpleasant, but it keeps us productive, which is the the, the higher um, objective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It it, it keeps people accountable uh, to their actions and the, the whole show and the whole process. Um, I was wondering right now, how or what is your approach to character creation on both plays and musicals, since you have different tools that it can use to express what is going on in their mind? Uh, because in a straight play, it has to be through dialogue in which you get to know the character, in musicals, it is through music and through songs that you can pick their brain easier if you can say it somehow so i just i I just want to pick your brain about this part
0: yeah i mean um i guess in it depends on the style and the tone of the piece that you're writing Um, but in a general sense um i think or at least in the way that we approach it the characters in the musical they're a little bit more distilled down to sort of one pure want. Um, maybe in a straight play, there's room for it to be a little bit more nuanced, at least in the way that we we approach it. I mean, I think there's plenty of musicals where there's all sorts of complexity. But I think knowing what the character wants is probably the biggest thing to settle on. So, and, and then also knowing what their biggest obstacle is. So like right now we are working on a space musical um, and the heroine, the, the, the hero of the story is a young lieutenant who's very insecure, but she wants to, um, she, she, she wants to fulfill her duty as a space soldier. So that's the tension is she wants to succeed she wants to do her duty and be a good soldier, but she doesn't believe in herself yet. So I guess that tension of the the goal you're you're striving towards uh, versus the whatever it, the obstacle that's keeping you from achieving it—that's like the key. Yeah, um, and a lot of like a lot of the. Um, the writing strategies that I've settled on come from So Mark and I both the the company that we were a part of was initially an improv company. So we started as improvisers and what we were taught uh, as improvisers is you want the characters in the scene to have skewed wants, which means um, you want um, to uh, eat dinner and I want to um, uh, see see a movie. say. Yeah. So it's not that I don't want to see eat dinner. You don't want a movie, but we have two wants, and they're not quite the same. So the the the, the scene, if we're improvisers, is how do we reconcile these two wants so that they work together? So in mm-hmm. the scene, would happen is that we bring the food into the movie theater, and then that, something like that. <laughs> you no, know, it just says sort of off the top of my head. So with with. When I'm developing characters for a play or a musical, it's trying to understand what they want, and then the story becomes how the characters bump up against each other because they're pursuing their own um, wants—not in spite of, but in tandem with what the other characters want. Um, You know, like obstructive wants would be like, "I want to go to dinner," "You don't want to go to dinner," Mm -hmm. and. It doesn't give the scene, it's not as a a propulsive place. It becomes an argument. So um, I think motivation, you know, that's that's the thing to keep in mind. And with characters, you know, I mean, um, it starts with really um, these primary color improvisational kind of details. So-and-so is a fireman so-and-so is a um is a fireman who has 20 children he's a fireman who has 20 children and um uh he has one arm you know whatever it's like these details these broad details that you just see how this character with you know uh, some element of characteristics broad characteristics how that affects how they move through the world while they're pursuing thing they want to pursue, which is if this, this fireman, he wants to, um, you know, sing in the opera. So, you know, the scene becomes he's in, uh, he's, he's in class and he's being taught by a great virtuoso and together they learn that, um, he has a great voice and he has, he, he can sing any song that has to do with firefighting or something like that. Yeah. So, um, so that's sort of, that's, that's, my task is to understand to the best degree that I can who the character is. And if, you know, when I hit a wall, when I, when the, when the script isn't working, when the play isn't working and it's, it's just stuck in soft sand, it usually has something to do with not really understanding the characters and what they want. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when I will step back and I'll just think, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why is so-and-so doing this? Why is so-and-so expressing themselves in this way? And, And it's usually a combination of not really understanding what the characters want and also having an idea that this is, this is a story that has to have this event happen. Like there has to be a birthday party or there has to be a wedding or there has to be, they have to arrive back home, in a winter storm or something, whatever it is. And so if it often has to do with holding on to wanting an, an event, and sometimes it's because a song has been written yeah, and the song was written six months ago. And then it's like, we got to keep the song, but it's not working anymore. How can I make the story met? We would talk about musicals arrive at the song. Um, and then usually you, like, right. Like one thing that we, you know, Mark and I were talking we're in the process of uh, developing a new musical for a reading in February. And we have this great closing number, uh, uh, act one finale. And we just realized that the act one finale is great as a, as a, as a song, as a melody, as a, as a musical event, but it doesn't really match what's going on in the story anymore. So we just had to cut it okay. and write something new. And, and then when you, when you do that, it's really difficult because it feels like you're throwing money out the window. But you usually realize, oh, no, it's so good that we did this because because we were able to liberate ourselves from feeling obligated to that piece of material. Now we have this other thing that's much more connected to what's going on in the story. Um, so anyway, those are sort of hard lessons that we learned over time.
1: But, I love it. Yeah, I love it. All of it. Um, I want to go back a little bit into You're in Town, which you want a Tony for. What was this show process like from writing until taking it into a Broadway house?
0: Well, I mean, the writing process was, um, it was the first time that I had written the book for a musical. So I didn't really know what it was. I had a notion of it. And it was the first time that I developed um, a musical with one other person. We had done something, we'd done a show with a whole ensemble before, but there was a different process. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was exciting, and it was, um, you know, uh, at the time, I was a new father, I had, um, you know, a toddler, and we were living in a tiny apartment in the East Village in New York. And I had been trying to find my way towards some kind of writing career for 10, 14 years, something like that. and when we were working on the show, I kind of came to the decision that I don't think that's going to happen. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm going to have that career. Um, I've been working at it for a while and it hasn't happened. So the deal I made with myself with town is I just want to write one more show just to sort of say goodbye to this chapter in my life and write the best show that we can and have fun with it and not have any commercial expectations, not have any professional expectations to release uh, myself from the um, ambition of having a career in theater. And to, so my idea was we would do it, we would find a place to do it and declare it a victory. And then I would go and get a real job someplace and I would stop wasting time writing. So I think being in that headspace somehow liberated us enough so that we could write something that was authentic and true to our point of view and something that turned out to be something new. So, perversely not having any particular commercial ambitions for the show apparently allowed us to write a show that did have, had all sorts of commercial um, yeah. possibility. We did the thing where we sent it around to theaters. We got rid- lots of rejections. Um, our last chance was just to have it realized was to do it at the New York International Fringe Festival, which started in I think 1997. So we were in the second or third. uh, festival now it's been going on for 20 something years so it was relatively easy to get in um and we self-produced it we just took money out of our savings account and spent money on it we pulled a cast together we did it and um it was it it was so it was good Mm -hmm. and the, the the leaders of the festival they encouraged us to get producers to come see it so we did that and producers came Um, and they liked it. And so it it took a couple of years from the Fringe Festival, which turned out to be the audition for that show. And this was my first commercial experience, so I didn't know what was going to happen. And we found that they were able to create a – they produced a backers audition, which brought in more producers, and um, they found a space for us to do it. It was it, The whole thing was thrilling because um, it's really wonderful to be part of a production that has a lot of producerial support, where lots of the hundred thousand things that have to happen for a show to happen are taken care of, and you can just concentrate on the writing. Um, and then to meet um, seasoned, experienced Broadway musical theater performers, that was really exciting because it's like, wow, They have unbelievable skills and they can bring the music and the show to life in ways that um, were amazing. Uh, And so the off-Broadway event was great, completely fulfilling. And then they announced in the summer of or the spring, I guess, or the late summer of 2001 that we're going to move to Broadway. That was crazy. It was all, it was, it was a very whirlwind and sort of like, wow. I mean, it, it, it was, every day was a a surprise. Um, And the thing, you know, I mean, the, the, the biggest, um, one of the, one of the clearest uh, memories I have was sitting in the audience in the Broadway house. It was Henry Miller's theater, which is not a huge theater Broadway wise. I think it's like 800 something seats. So it's, but it was, It was a bigger house than anything that I had ever done to be in, you know, Mm -hmm. to be working. And I was just what I was really scared of is I knew what it felt like for a show to fail in front of like 10 people or 20 people. Or, or how a joke not to land in front of 10 or 20 people or a song not to work in front of 10 or So I understood what that felt like. And I just assumed when I was sitting in the audience in the balcony or in the mezzanine, I guess, I could hear like that rumble of the audience of 800 people collecting to watch the show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, if it hurts this much for a show to bomb in front of a small house, this this bombing in front of this kind of house is going to kill me. So I was bracing myself for some, for that, um, and what I learned was um, bigger houses are great for comedy because the chances that somebody's going to find what you're doing funny or or effective just statistically is higher. So all you need is one guy laughing off in the corner to indicate to the rest of the house that oh that funny thing just happened. Yes. And it has a life... Anyway, so that's that's something that I, I learned about bigger houses. It's like, you actually do better. The bigger the house, the better, because um, chances are someone's going to do what you're doing.
1: I love it. I love it. Okay, what would be a piece of advice or pieces you would give to people that want to start adventuring into writing musicals?
0: Um... Well, I can't offer any sort of career management advice. I'm not particularly good at it myself. (laughs) Um, I struggle with that. So that I can't answer. But just in terms of creatively, I would say to develop a discipline um, in terms of how you work. So um, I have found that uh, like here I have. Like um, here, I keep like this little diary, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, and and I work in half-hour chunks. So I'll set a timer, and then I'll write.
1: Yeah.
0: And then when the timer is done, then I get to take a break, and I put a little check mark, and then I can look at the end of the day. It's like, oh, I was very productive today. So that was that's like a little trick that I just I find that to be a working writer or production, I should say productive writer, is number one, to choose to have a relationship with your imagination. You know, that's the thing. to It's, it's more easily said than done, but to sort of clear a mental space in an actual physical time, or, or uh, an actual time when you're going to engage with your imagination and that nothing else is going on except you being present and alert to what your imagination is telling you. You know, you watch children play. They don't need to be told to do this. They just do it. So um, I think with writing, it's the same thing. And the difference between being productive and not is that you're going to render it in a form that can be shared with somebody else, rendered in a form that you can consider and to shape and to build. Um, Just in terms of uh, process, um, one writer that I really like, her name is Natalie Goldberg. And she wrote a book called Writing Down the Bones. And she says that um, the key or a key to having a healthy writing life is understanding that you can think of your imagination as, as a creative mind and a critical mind. And the creative mind is the mind that just kind of spews, just kind of, you know, blurt stuff out. And the critical mind is the one that shapes that blurt into a form that looks like a play or a musical or a song or a lyric, etc. Yeah. So the problem comes when they, they are too in conflict with each other. If you are second-guessing everything that you write, if you are sort of crossing out the same sentence over and over and over again, you're not going to get anywhere. So mm-hmm. with these timed exercises, a half hour might be – it's just creative mind stuff. So what that means is I will – blank out my screen so I can't see what I've written and then I'll write and I can't look back because I don't know what it is. I can't see it. And then the, the half hour, you know, that usually it's very difficult at first and then you get to a sweet spot where you're, where you're very productive and then you get tired. And then the bell goes off and you can look at what you've done. And then the next half hour is shaping it and editing it. And anyway, so that's, that's one piece of advice is to develop for yourself a discipline, a process, a, a schedule that works for you. So these are the tools that work for me, but you know, there's lots of them. Um, that's one thing you can do. You can join writers' groups, where um, this is about accountability, where you bring stuff in and you and you read other people and keep other people accountable. So this is a, you know, a pact that you can have mm-hmm. um, to find a, you know, to find partners that you're sympatical with. That's also like the work of a lifetime it's like usually i mean the people that i am most connected to creatively are people that i met either in college or not or or in my 20s yeah. and i'm in my 50s now so if you're just beginning in your 20s this is a time i think for finding your people finding people who laugh at what you laugh at who are moved by what you're you're moved by this is a time for if you're a writer to find directors who understand your work and can translate your work to actors. It's a time for finding actors who can interpret your work. Yeah. So it's basically kind of finding your club, you know, and uh, deadlines, you know, um, the Mark and I spent years in Chicago um, putting shows on, you know, in found spaces and garages in basements, wherever. And we would just create something. And this is when we were working with a, a broader group of people and let it be known that the show was happening, invite people and they would come and you would do it. You know, a piece of advice that I got from a a teacher, a guest teacher, he said, don't go to theater school. Uh, Don't go to graduate school. Um, Just get your work in front of people and the audience will teach you about your work better than, you know, a workshop or a panel. And I think that's kind of true. It's like, that is the, you know, getting your work in front of an audience of any kind is like, like everything easier said than done. But that's the, that's another thing. Just sort of get your work out there some way. And I do believe that work begets work, and you know, projects be, beget relationships and opportunities. And if you if you are able to, if you have the energy to, if you have the means to, then that's a path towards finding your voice, finding what you know. It's funny. It's like I can't, there's stuff that I, I so admire humanist sort of grounded, wonderful, rich stuff. And I admire it so much as either a reader or an audience member, but I can't, I can't produce it. My imagination doesn't work that way for some reason. It's, it's this broad sort of absurdist stuff where I come up with. So anyway, that's, that's what I would advise. And as far as like the career management stuff, I don't know. I find that I'm no good at it. So someone else would probably be much smarter to, to, to talk, ask about that.
1: I love it. Thank you so much for all that great advice. Last question before we wrap up, which are your top favorite five musical theater shows?
0: Oh, well, let's see. I love Sweeney Todd. Mm -hmm. That's it. I loved Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. I love West Side Story. I really have a soft spot for Annie. That's four. I don't know. I mean, I'm not as well-versed in musicals, honestly. Um, Oklahoma, you know, like real classic standards. I've come to really appreciate.
1: I love it. I love it. Five great shows. Well, Greg, thank you so much for coming over. If someone wants to contact you to work with you, to read what you're doing, where can people
0: find you? Well, I have a website, which is gregcodus.com That kind of has stuff. I don't know if there's like a contact there, Um, and I'm represented by a guy named Chris Till who works for Verve Talent and Literary Agency, so he's someone um, that's a way of getting a hold of me. I'm on Facebook, so, but I'm not really, I'm not that active on Facebook, so.
1: Well, that is great. Thank you so much for coming over. I have loved every single second of this conversation and I cannot wait to see where your current projects are going next. So thank you so much for coming over.
0: It's my great pleasure. So great to talk to you.
1: Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of Backstage Talk. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Backstage Talk Podcast.